All right. Um, we're going to see what happens this morning. I am, my voice is, is escaping every minute, it seems, so I might not have a voice by the end of this. So I apologize in advance for probably sounding pretty gross. So uh, that's where we're at this morning, but we're, I'm glad to be here with you. I'm not sick. I just want to be clear about that, you know, uh, but it's just, you know, the hot and the cold, it just doesn't do well with, you know, the way I breathe. I like to breathe, but haven't been able to do that. Anyway, so uh, today we're going to be talking about light. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about being salt. I think the, a great place to go next would be to be talking about how we are light. But before we get to talking about light, I want you to think about this. Have you ever experienced absolute darkness before? Absolute darkness. I remember, um, there's, there's, I've told you many times before, I love to fish. Uh, the best time to fish, as they say, is before the sun comes up. Sometimes I think that's just a lie. That just to get me out looking like an idiot sometimes. But I, I still do it anyway. But they say the best time to go is, is right before the sun gets up. So in order to be there right before the sun gets up, you have to be there before the sun gets up at all. And sometimes you walk out there. I, I know Andrew and I have gone surf fishing before where it's like he's got a headlight on and I'm like not able to see anything and it's awful because you can't see but it's awesome because you're fishing but that's a great time you know I think of experiencing darkness and, and the joy in that but I also when I thought about darkness I thought of a very specific time in my life um, I went to the church back in Daytona and a lot of times the youth group we'd play hide and seek in the dark at night and we had a really creepy church I think actually all churches at night are just creepy uh, large buildings at night are just always creepy. I, don't, I hate being in here at night by myself. <laughs> um, but we would play hide and seek in the dark, and uh, it got really intense sometimes. So uh, I found this spot. There was this little spot in the church where they would prepare communion. There was no windows at all, no light whatsoever. You could maybe see a tiny sliver of light, maybe in the bottom of the door. But I wedged myself under this table, and I was like in a ball for a long time. And I'm not, I, don't, I don't get, like, claustrophobic or anything, but it's one of those things where it was so dark that it seemed to get darker every time I opened my eyes. And then I'm like, okay, it's dark in here. And my youth minister, what he used to do when we played hide-and-seek in the dark was he'd play creepy music over, like, the loudspeakers throughout the entire church. I may or may not do that as well. Um, but he would play this, like, creepy Halloween music, and all of a sudden I felt my heart racing a little bit more. And then I remember vividly the person who is seeking literally kicks the door in. He's got like a clown wig on. He's got like this big, and I was like, I got out of my hiding place. I'm like, I'm not playing anymore. I'm out of here. I was so scared. Um, I, don't, I don't really, I, I scare easily, to be fair. Um, but it was, it was kind of the combination of the creepy music, me being in this confined space and the darkness all, all together really led me to that place. But um, whatever you is, whatever you are thinking of, I'm sure you have also experienced that kind of darkness before. Maybe it's when you're camping or maybe when you're out late at night and it's that darkness where if you put your hand in front of your face, you can't even see your hand, right? We've all experienced something like this. And it's interesting to think about what our mind goes through when we're in a dark place. Like for me in that hiding spot, all of a sudden, you know, that lamp that I know is over there is no longer a lamp, but it's like this, my worst fear imaginable is in the room with me. And maybe for you, it's like when you're camping and it's dark outside and you look around, what could have been just this harmless squirrel is now like this rabid, I don't know, animal out to get you. 
it's funny what our mind does when we're in a dark place. It, it kind of creates things because you can't see anything, right? Our brains are really awesome because they can make things, they can kind of complete puzzles without us having the whole picture done in front of us, right? But unfortunately, sometimes in darkness, our mind likes to create things that are, are not there because simply we cannot see. And, and, and some of you might have been thinking of a dark place literally like I was saying, but maybe when you heard this question, you thought of a dark place in a very different way, right? We're all aware of darkness in our lives. We're aware when, when things do not seem like there's any light whatsoever. Maybe you are mourning someone. Maybe you're going through a, a, a relationship break that was very strong at one time and is no longer there for you. And that darkness seems like absolute darkness, that darkness where you can't even see the hand in front of your face. And it, it, it might be light outside, it might be daytime, you might be having a great time, but still yet, there is this darkness that's kind of dominating your life. Maybe your mind went there. And I want to say kind of our brains sometimes function the same way if we're in a dark place literally than we are in a dark place figuratively or metaphorically as well. They, it creates things, it does things. And this morning we're going to talk about darkness a little bit, but I want to focus more on the light. So whatever you're thinking about this morning, whether it be actual darkness or this metaphorical darkness, it's going to apply, I promise. But let's talk a little bit more about light. I'm going to read this again. We're going to read it a couple times this morning because I've had a really good time kind of just sitting with it. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So like I said, last week we talked about how the fact that Jesus says that you are salt. And we kind of agreed last week, we agreed, I told you, this is how I was feeling. You don't have to agree with me. I promise you don't have to agree with me. But last week we talked about being salt in the context of saying amen to the Beatitudes. Right? We talked about these sayings that Jesus is saying, the blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, all these kind of ambiguous groups of people Jesus is talking about. And then he gets down to saying that you are salt, and we kind of alluded saying, hey, the saltiness that Jesus is talking about is saying amen to the things he was talking about before. The way that I lose my saltiness is that I hear the things of Jesus and say, that's not for me. Kind of in the same light, it's the same kind of idea this morning, slightly differently, but he's saying that you are light. You are light. And I hear this all the time. We hear this in our church context. We hear this more like evangelism, right? How many of you grew up in a Sunday school talking about this little light of mine, right? Right? We've all done that, right? You put your, get your light out, you know? And it's a great thing. And I still love that song. The kids get a kick out of singing that, I'm sure, still. And we talk about it in the sense of evangelism. I'm going to share my light before others, right? I'm going to do these things. I'm going to disciple. And I want to say all of that is very important, okay? It's very important to still sing that song in your head, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. It's awesome. But I want to look at it in a little different context this morning because I think Jesus is using this metaphor in a way to talk about the necessity of light within humanity, the necessity of what we take away from this and our part of being a necessary part of what Jesus is about to do and say amongst the world. You see, we are today blessed with convenient electricity. Like I said, if I come to this building at night, I either have my phone flashlight on 
where I am immediately turning lights on. I don't walk through this building in empty darkness, okay? That's just not how I, how I do it. But we have convenient electricity. Like I said, you can open your phone right now and click a little button and you'll have a great flashlight set before you, right? You can walk into a room in your house that's completely dark and flip a light switch. You can put the headlights on your car and you can drive at night. Just think, like, not too long ago, this was not, like, people weren't able to do this, right? If you wanted to drive at night, too bad. (laughs) You shouldn't do that. If you wanted to have light in your house, you can't just flip a light. You actually had to have a fire in your house or a candle or a lantern of some kind to make sure that you can be able to see. And I know many of us, um, especially being in Florida, have had to deal with the power going out, right? Through, through hurricanes and stuff like that. And the thing that always kind of gets me is I, I, I don't realize how good I have it with, when it comes to light, right? All of a sudden, nighttime comes a whole lot faster, the ability to see becomes a whole lot more important. The things I'm norm- normally used to doing are not as easy as they once were. The only way to see where you're going is to bring it along with you, is what I'm saying, right? I remember when uh, the last hurricane came, Michelle and I were just trying to play cards in our living room by candlelight. That was hard. She was, she was way better than me f- for that reason. No, she's always better than me at that kind of stuff. Um, but it was really hard. And it's, it's not just the little task, but it's the big task, right, uh, of not being able to see. If you want to be able to see, you must bring the light with you. So with all that in context, I really think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that you are this light. Okay? Very, very uncomplicated this morning, I know. You've probably read this and you probably understand this. Okay, that's fine. But I want this morning to see that you are this light. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are this light, and I want to kind of make it further clear that Jesus is calling us necessary to the spreading of his gospel and what he's about to be about and live his life through. We are a necessary part of the gospel being spread. And and you might be saying, okay, Jimmy, this is very obvious. Yes, we are necessary. But when is the last time you actually saw you yourself, the individual, as being necessary for the gospel being spread in the world? An actual necessity. Not some missionary's job, not Jimmy's job, not Michelle's job, not the elder's job, but you yourself are an actual necessity for the gospel being spread in the world. When's the last time you thought about that? I underlined a few words here because the more I read through the words of Jesus, the more urgent they sounded. Right? This is a, a technique they told us to do in school, right? Is to take a, a simple phrase and to, and to read it differently every single time you read it. And the more I read it, I kind, of, I kind of came across this way. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It's impossible. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It doesn't say, let your light shine by inviting them to church and making sure that other people are investing in them and and making sure they know who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. You are a basic necessity to the gospel being spread in and among the people that I created. I need you along the way. And to be clear, I'm not saying that God is saying that he's lucky to have us. I remember vividly at a camp 
Devo. It was like a guy's Devo. We were in high school. And this guy, great, he gave a great Devo. But then one of the other guys in my cabin was like, dear God, you're so lucky to have a servant like Travis. It's like, God's not lucky to have us. He's happy to have us. And he's, and he's happy to see us doing his good will. But we are a basic necessity to doing what his works are going to be done on this earth. We are the hands and feet of God and of Jesus. And to make this example much more clear, think about how Jesus refers to himself. And this is how John talks about Jesus here. In the beginning was the word. This is in John 1. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the necessity. I, I just keep hearing this word necessity through all this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? That's what Jesus is about, being a light in a dark place, being able to overcome death itself, the darkest of all darknesses. He's able to overcome it. Look at what Jesus says about himself in John 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Ding, ding, ding. Does that remind you of something Jesus said about us? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we are close to Jesus, we will not be in darkness. But the problem is, is that not only, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, yes, Jesus is the light, but it's another thing to internalize what Jesus is saying to us. It's okay for Jesus to say he's light, but sometimes we want to shy away from him calling us light. Part of the necessity of the gospel spreading and for people knowing who Jesus is and what he's about. Now think about Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It is about us, but not totally about us, right? Yes, you are the light. It is about us and what we're doing in this world. But it's about recognizing what God has the ability to do within us, right? Because if you look at the life of Jesus, this is how he kind of lives. He is this light and he's going to dark places and he is overcoming the darkness with his light, right? He transcends all the norms that people had at the time. And when you think about really the reality of Jesus... It is kind of the culmination of God going closer and closer to his people, right? At the very beginning, God is with his people, but then people mess up. But then ever since then, God has been going closer and closer to his people. Remember this, right? We have the tabernacle where, where God's presence is resting in this tent, but that's not good enough for God. So God goes from the tabernacle to the temple where it's a more permanent place where people can come together. And see where God's at. But that wasn't close enough for God at all because he said, you know what? I got to be with my people in a more real way. I'm going to send Jesus, this word that we talked about, right? In the beginning was the word and he sends Jesus and he's this light that's going to overcome all darkness. It's God's movement towards us closer and closer to the point where he's flesh and blood and he's going to be killed by his creation. And we read these words that Jesus says, I am the light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then he says, you are the light. It's the same way that God sent Jesus into the world. Jesus is sending us into the world as well. He says, I am light and I make you light. So you've got to do something about it. You are light. You have to go and you have to do. Jesus chose to be this light and we need to choose to follow him as well. Because when we look around the world, and I talk about this when people ask me why I substitute teach, 
This is part of the reason why. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. I get really annoyed sometimes when I'm substitute teaching. It's not always fun. But the way I see it is that I am being a light in a dark place, whatever that might look like. And I think Jesus does the exact same thing. There's this intense darkness in the world that Jesus inhabited, but the darkness hasn't changed all that much, has it? There still needs to be lights. We still need to be seeking and doing what we can do as lights for God. We're expected to do something. So my question is, are you the bowl or the lampstand? Right? We all agree, yes, we are lights. Jesus is saying that we are lights. That's an important part to all of this. But are you the bowl in the story or are you the lampstand in the story? It's a great bowl. Okay? It's a good picture of a bowl. All right. Bowls. I was thinking about bowls this week, and uh, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but I was thinking about within the context of Matthew 5, 14, it says this, excuse me, 15, it says, neither do people put a lamp, or light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I thought about this, and I started thinking about what do you put under a bowl? Usually bowls are not like this. They're like this, Right? So why on earth would you ever put a bowl upside down? I started to think about that stuff. One reason might be you trapped a bug, right? That's the first thing I thought about. You take a bowl or a cup and you put it on top of the bug. And if you're, you know, wanting to make sure that bug lives, you take it outside and you let it live its life, however that might be. But you take the bowl and you put it over the insect and you see what else is going to happen, I guess. That's up to you. I also thought about the bowl, like when you're making food for somebody and you want to bring food to somebody else, you put a bowl kind of on top to preserve the heat, right? You've done this before. It might be a plate. It might be a piece of paper that you put the aluminum over, something like that. But in in essence, it's the same thing. You put a bowl over it to make sure the steam stays within what you want to take to the person you're bringing the food to, right? It preserves the heat. It allows the food to stay hot. And the more I thought about bowls being turned over, within the context of this flame and in the context of this light that Jesus is talking about, it doesn't make any sense. Because if you were to take a bowl over a light, what would the light do? It would go out. Right? Because the light needs oxygen. The light needs to be able to have a source to continue to glow. When you put a bowl over a light, the light goes out. So I started to think, okay, why would anybody put a a bowl over a light at all? To quench the fire, yeah. But the thing is, is that when we do this, when we have this bowl mentality, when we put it over this light, really we're not allowing God to work at all. Like I said, sometimes we put bowls on top of things to preserve, right? We want to preserve the life of this bug. We want to preserve the life of this food we're taking with us. Sometimes I think we look at our faith and we, not necessarily on purpose, we put a bowl over God. And maybe it's not like a, a foolproof seal. Maybe you're like, it's like a, more like a lampshade, right? Where you're not quenching the fire. The fire's still there, but it's not as powerful as it could be. I think the church does that a lot more than we want to let on. Why? We want to preserve our thoughts and ideas about God without God shining in our lives. We want to allow tradition. We want to allow certain things our knowledge about God to be kept in this one space because if I can keep God in this one space, then I have all the answers. The problem about keeping God in one space is that's not how he works, right? 
Nod your heads if you're with me. God doesn't work that way. Oftentimes, God works in the exact opposite way than we expect him to work. I talk about Habakkuk a lot, and I'm going to keep talking about Habakkuk. Right When the Israelites are about to be taken into captivity, Habakkuk is like, God, why are you doing this? And then God responds to Habakkuk, and he says, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. But yet we sit here today and we want to take this lamp, this light that we are, and put a bowl over it and control what God can do and say in our lives. God doesn't work that way. We need to stop putting bowls over our lights and allow us to see what God is actually going to do and where he's going to show up in our lives. But you see, the problem is when we remove the bowl, the light becomes a lot more illuminated. And when the light becomes more illuminated, you and I, a lot more questions come up. And a lot of times we're afraid of questions. We got to stop being afraid of questions. If we truly believe that God is the God that we read about in Scripture, we should never be afraid. That doesn't mean we're always going to understand, but we should never be afraid to say, God, why is it this way? We, we, sometimes it's just crazy because you look throughout all of Scripture, the apostles, the people who spent days and nights with Jesus for a very long time, still didn't get it. And yeah, Jesus would get upset with them sometimes, but he was never like, you know what, I'm done with you guys. Stop asking me questions. I'm out. If I was Jesus, I probably would have done that. But what does Jesus do? He brings it closer and closer to, to getting them to understand because they're seeking. He's not upset with their questions. Sometimes he gets frustrated with their lack of understanding, but they're still in community together. Why are we afraid of letting God shine in our lives? Why are we afraid of questions? Why are we afraid of not knowing? We think too highly of ourselves, honestly. The bowl mentality preserves. The bowl mentality keeps things tight when in reality, God cannot be kept in a bowl. It's more like this. Right? I kinda, this is kind of like a lampstand here where the candle's sitting, and you would take this and you'd be able to walk around your house with it, I'm sure. Um, to me, when I look at the lampstand, it's efficient. Right? When I look at the lampstand, it has a handle a lot of times, or if it's a large lampstand, it's, it's kind of put up on, like, like on a pedestal so everybody can see in the, in the whole room, right? Lampstands are very efficient. They're very transferable. If I were to be walking in a, in, a, in a place, I could say, here, take this as you go into this dark place. See, the difference between the bowl and the lampstand is that the bowl has to stay in one place to preserve, whereas the lampstand is ready to be given to anybody who wants it. When we talk about our lights, if we are to be like the lights, we have to be like this lampstand. Efficient, transferable, allowed to be go wherever the lamp needs to go, really. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, he is the example of being a lampstand, right? Even if you look at the most crazy situations that Jesus gets into, right? When he walks up to that guy, Legion, who's possessed by a demon, he just walks up and does incredible things. And you're saying, Jimmy, that's Jesus, well, guess what? Jesus says he's the light, and guess what he says about you? You are a light as well. We can't run away from that. We cannot run away from what Jesus is communicating. You are necessary for the gospel to keep going and going and going. It's crazy that we're sitting here today in North America. Everybody's from all their different continents and countries, different race, backgrounds, ethnicities, stories. All of us are sitting together here in Melbourne, Florida. It's wild. And we're all here talking about Jesus and trying to be like Jesus. This should not exist. 
but it's because the people who heard the Great Commission saw themselves as necessary lampstands for the sake of the gospel. Think about what that means for you. And really, I don't have, it's kind of a different way this morning to to think of things, but are you choosing to be the bowl or are you choosing to be the lampstand? Because like I said, the bowl can live for a while, especially if it's not a perfect seal. You know, you could have a nice, you know, maybe some moody lighting, right? Some nice dampened light. But that's not going to help people see. You might live your whole life fine being a bowl and knowing who God is. And yes, you are a light. That, 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 that doesn't change. But are you a light that's lighting up the entire room? I'm not talking about you being a charismatic person. I'm not saying that you have to be a completely different person. You just have to be the person Jesus is calling you to be. You are a light. So be the lampstand. Choose to be the lampstand over the bowl. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for, um, I, th- I really thank you for the flaws that all exist in this room, God, because I'm so flawed, um, and I definitely am not a lampstand 100% of the time, like I should be. There are definitely times where I don't want to say, I don't know, there's times where I'd rather have you be really easy to understand, but those moments where I have, where I feel that way, it's kind of easily taken away, because God, if I could understand you, you wouldn't be worth worshiping, and I thank you for that reality. I thank you that I don't understand everything, but I'm seeking to know you better, not because I want to be able to answer all the questions, but so I can just be a lampstand for this light that you've given me. God, I am so inadequate. We are all so inadequate, but we're so thankful that Jesus says he's a light, and he says the same thing of us. Help us to live into that light every single day. To Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs at all, we want to invite you to come forward. Um, if you're wondering how you can be a better lampstand, If you feel like you're struggling with this bold mentality, you are not alone at all, I promise you. If you want to come forward, we invite you to come forward, but I do definitely invite you to talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.